You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello, Riverdale gang. Boy, howdy. Uh, has it been a month and change? <laughs> It sure has. We, um, it's been a long hiatus. A lot has changed since Ryan and I precautionarily recorded long distance because I had the sniffles. Yeah, remember that, gang? Uh, several lives ago, uh, several eons ago, in a different epoch. Um, yes. But here we are now in this. Um, yep. Welcome, welcome back. to welcome back. <laughs> welcome to the Riverdale Gang podcast, the critical commentary watch along podcast, uh, recorded here on unceded Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territory, um, collectively often referred to as the Coast Salish peoples. Although there are more Coast Salish peoples than just those three, and um, we talk about Riverdale, the show. If you're like in your isolation and or quarantine and are looking for new podcasts and this is your first episode what a first <laughs> welcome to our world uh we are your hosts uh i'm ryan i'm chloe uh i think we both use uh the gendered pronoun that you would guess for us or they yeah that's that's accurate uh yeah. as they as they go and uh today we're Absorbing small snippets of Hedwig and the Angry Inch performed by our favorite pseudo-fake teenagers playing teenagers <laughs> in confusing dark sugar trash times. And yeah. um, let's let's spend like three minutes in contact space and then jump into deep nerding about this show and our, our escapist fantasy. And, but like with how it relates to reality. Um I, I kind of want to start on the note of, wow, reality's as wild as Riverdale right now. And so this felt perfect to me. This episode oh, felt that's like funny. naturalism. An escapist um, naturalism to me. That's so interesting. Um, I do want to say quickly that you may hear my cat bopping around. I got a second one, so you may hear, in fact, two cats bopping around in the background. <laughs> um, I find that interesting because there there were a lot of elements to this episode that uh, felt muted to me. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's just because the emotional stakes of everything else are is so high right now. Yeah, that's quite that's quite possible and quite reasonable. Um, i'm I'm very curious to hear which bits landed for you and which which bits were um, a little shakier. Um, across the board, I really enjoyed today. Um, partially because it was a brief, brief glimpse of like this messed up techno color in a strange dystopian depression scape but mm. also i think there are merits to the episode itself not only its brightness in the strange zeitgeist of reality yeah um it's a it's a wacky time to be watching this particular episode i i'm really grateful that um i mean obviously they wouldn't really have been able to anyway because no one's working right now and certainly large Large sets and crews and stuff, I certainly hope, are not working. <laughs> some, um, mostly, some, not all. But I believe most of the Vancouver-based yeah. uh, productions are shut down early. Yeah. Um, for, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so I appreciate that the, sh that the Riverdale team didn't immediately try and rewrite the whole show to incorporate the epidemic. 
Um, <laughs> yes. You know, um, I I think as the the rest of the season goes on, it might begin to feel weird. But this episode, at least, I really appreciated that that wasn't part of it. It's going to be a very strange, sharp, hard line. Um, probably jarring in a similar way to the writer's strike uh, ten-ish years ago. The way, like, all TV suddenly changed pacing-wise uh, with a year off of Western, North, of American-produced television. Um, but with, a, with, with this concurrent um, social shift... Uh, I'm, yeah, it's going to be a weird old time, and I, it's going to be exciting. I'm excited to see how Riverdale handles our our, our new alien overlord reality, if you will. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it will be really interesting. Um, I would love to hear what you liked about this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I really liked how the works, uh, how Hedwig and the Angry Inch was used. I enjoyed the framing. I thought it was um, more aware of of its of its limited perspective of the of like the lived experience of the characters they were putting it in into vocal positions. I thought it, it explored some I, some very authentic um, stuff. I just wanted to interject that your your background noise is going to be a cat purring probably probably when you edit this together. I'm so Ryan and I obviously are not in the same location. I'm so happy. Proxy purring. I have touched two dogs, two cats, and briefly a human's fingertips in the last month uh, with a lot mm-hmm. of hand sanitizer. So cat purring will just... It's a euphoria button. <laughs> It's, Great. I'm so glad to hear it. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's fine. Cats can interrupt me anytime, Chloe. Um, yeah, I thought they I thought they did a good job within uh, a very limited, restricted sort of high school cast social commentary without overreaching in the grandiosity of social commentary possible with this content and with these characters. Um, I felt like they, they played within their lane very, very well. Uh, and mm. and in doing so, gave me something more introspective and thoughtful out of this material, um, rather than say pulling the themes of the show directly and attempting to present them. I feel like um, Heather's perhaps um, or Carrie were both more <laughs> of a thematic play episode, whereas this um, I enjoyed the music a great deal without. In a, in a re, you remixed, reutilized episode, um, more 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 thematically remixed, I think, than past musical episodes have been for me. Hmm. If that makes sense. That's really in. Yeah, totally. Um, I it's really interesting. There are a couple of things that you liked that I struggled with a little. Mm-hmm. Which is I one for one thing I don't know the musical very well. Mm-hmm. I I will um, also cop to not not knowing the musical very well at all. I know some of the music and I know um, I I'm a big fan of the the um, the playwright and performer uh, John Cameron Mitchell because he is also featured on one of my favorite narrative podcasts, The Orbiting Human Circus. He's a performer there, mm. which is it's, you know it's a strange circuitous way to come about. A you know a, a audience relationship with one of the biggest English language queer icons and showpieces, <laughs> but um, it's also this gorgeous, loving uh, piece of casually queer media. Um, 
which I highly recommend, Orbiting Human Circus, if you want something absurd and musical in this, in this, in your brain in this time. Um, so I know him for this very gentle contemporary art. Um, and then I was thrown back into the rock opera-ness, um, of the era, of the era's music. Uh, yeah, it, there was a lot that worked for me here. It, it hit a lot of the right buttons, but not a lot came from the Hedwig narrative for me. I don't think that informed my perspective so much. Like, we might, if, if, if things are very quiet, we really should bring uh, our friend Feralith back in for a Hedwig recap uh, with the musical analysis mini-episode at some point in the future. But, um, because I think we, we both can really talk about just how it worked in this show without a great deal of knowledge about the original musical yeah, um, so this is, I, so one of the things I loved, I, w one of the things I realized I really liked now about both Carrie and Heather's, and Heather, the Heather's episode, I think, it's possible it's my favorite episode period of Riverdale. That's possible. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so, so I'm very biased, obviously, toward, toward it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think the fact that I knew the story of Carrie and the story of Heather's fairly well actually enriched my experience of the episodes. This is where I'm really, really psyched to get um, Take 2.0 with Feralith Harvey um, and, yeah. and the musical theater background. Yeah, I think that would be fun, too. Um, so the thing, the thing that I... So the, one of the things that I really noticed is that with both Carrie and Heather's, mm -hmm. um, there were, it, both episodes start with a pretty big bang. Yeah. Like a, a very like we were so tiny, happy and shiny, and then you know like that bump up up like very very big big emotions, big feelings, and then um, I forget what the opening song uh, for the Carrie episode was, mm -hmm. but we're we we're seeing um, but it's again it's like not it's not soft it's like. Mm -hmm. Well, um, these, these... And, and what I found about this episode that really kind of struck me is the, the opening sequence is very soft and sad and scared. And mm. um, it was a little, excuse me, a little like doing a roll call. In fact, the whole episode felt a little bit like, oh, there's some full circle happening. We're getting towards the end of the show's life. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, interesting. That's, that, that's an interesting lens to take to uh, a yeah, lot of there were, Well, there were a lot of flashbacks, especially to the the first season between Archie and Betty. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. They're in costumes that they haven't worn for four seasons. Yep, that was um, interesting age comparisons going on. And yeah, like, I, and I think course, well embraced, honestly. Yeah, and I think that um, because KJ App is fairly young, he actually looks more like a kid uh, compared to how he looks now. Like, he looks very adult to me. And when I see, like, if I when I see clips from him from season one, I also just did a rewatch of the first three seasons. Um, he definitely has a little bit more of a kid's face in the first season. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can see how his jawline has really filled out, especially, I think, I, I was noticing kind of the, the, the broad features of his face in that particular side-by-side. -side. Um, like, I, 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 I think you're right. His age being just a touch younger than Lily or Camilla. Um, mm -hmm. uh, 
we do see that in a very interesting way. Um, yeah. Um, and so the one of the reasons I wasn't sure about how I felt about some of the sequence in terms of not being familiar with the Hedwig and the Angry Inch story mm. is I don't really have a sense of is Hedwig and the Angry Inch a story about being trans, about being intersexed, about being queer Mm-mm. generally. Um, uh, intersex, excuse me, not intersexed. Yes. Um, uh, about these things generally. Or is it, um, is it, does it aim at being a completely universal story told from the lens of, mm-hmm. um, of queerness? Mm. And, uh, obviously, um, Kevin is a queer character, uh, Choni is a queer pairing, Fangs is a queer character, um, and they featured, certainly, in this episode, mm. um, and... I, but I did, I did, I did ask myself the very kind of SJW type question (laughs) of, does it make a difference that all of these performers are ostensibly straight embodying these truths and these stories? Does that matter? Uh, And, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, if mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. and if this is a story about being intersex or about being transgender, um, what are we doing putting that story into other stories. What does that mean and what does that say? Mm. So that that's honestly something I just don't know very much about the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, if, if that is something that I'm being too critical or too focused on, mm. just a sec, I need to scold my cat. <laughs> Pinch! Pinchy! Pinch! She's starting to figure out that she can get over the baby gate, which is not good because uh, she will be attacked by the other cat and we will have to interrupt the podcast and it will be very noisy. For a cat fight. I am 100% not editing it unless someone draws blood. <laughs> yours, yours doesn't count. <laughs> no, that's fine. Mine does not count at all. Um, well, this is the other thing. Just side note, a little bit of cat ownership. One of the reasons I've been so precious about this is, one, who has income these days? The idea of having to pay like a $2,000 vet bill is really unpleasant. But also, I have, have been sent to the ER by a cat in my life. Yep. Uh, and now is not a great time to go to the ER. It's just not... Not ideal. Not um, ideal. So I, I can speak a little bit about the um, the social positioning and the kind of synopsis level um, uh, of the play, um, of the original <laughs> musical and the film. Um, I, with the caveat, I haven't seen it. I have studied it, read about it a little bit, and it's broad social place um, and the artist's body of work, um, playwright's body of work. So... Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is the original piece um, explored gender um, in with a '90s vocabulary, with a vocabulary okay. that predated a broad cultural awareness of words like intersex, trans, uh, transgender, um, uh, queer, non-binary. These words were not commonplace. You, you, queer was still in the reclaimed slur or question mark space, um, and this this is. A time when there was broad lenses. Um, so I believe a great deal of the gender identity is informed more by a cis male perspective on femininity um, and that amb- ambiguous space of the drag community where transgender people have traditionally um, carved out um, homes and, and a great deal of space, but there is 
a mainstream cis gay um, reality that that formed uh, amongst those privilege bubbles, um, and there has been, a, I think, a divergence um, in in what those identities and communities mean to individuals since the 90s, uh, at least how we Got talk it. about it and break it apart. Um, so the character of Hedwig is, um, I believe, a um, cis gay male, I believe, who um, is uh, mutilated, uh, whose, whose genitals uh, are mutilated, and is left with uh, an, the angry inch. Um, and thus... I see. Sort of explores and... an intersex and with transgender ideation, I guess. Explores the, the variations of that character uh, with those early, early developing identity lenses and options, um, but without the modern distinguishing or sensibilities uh, of, of how distinct and diverse those identities are. I see. So even even on our terms as members of the queer community, it's a slightly dated piece. Yes. Yeah. Um, Got I, it. I think Fairleaf drew Rocky Horror parallels in lots right. of great core thematic intent, a lot of sloppy and evolving language and nuance, um, and a lot of excluded voices. Like it, it, it is a very cis gay queer lens. Um, right, 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 right. Attempting to grapple with gender and uh, binary gender. Um, and this is where uh, the use of that content with Kevin uh, really pleased me. Really felt in it, in their lane and uh, felt to me fairly aware of, of some of the, um, the controversy, the challenges, the conflicts in the source material they were working with. Um, gotcha. Yeah. So there are two there are two anecdotes I'd actually really like to share before we jump in. Yeah. Um, both of them from my own life that I think have some bearing on how we're talking about um, this episode. Uh -huh. um, uh, the um, I think for some people listening, it is possible. Like obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that Ryan and I are on the two S L G B T Q plus spectrum. Um, and uh, um, so I assume that some of you are engaged with that content. But if there are some of you listening who are like, I don't get, I don't get it. I don't get this thing about gender. Hmm. Um, I don't get this thing about making space for characters who are dated, but also have something important to say about the weirdness of gender. Like, like if you just don't get it, I'm going to give you a little example from my own life that might illuminate some things. <laughs> um, before I'd ever heard the word agender, which is essentially how I identify, I get called a woman a lot. It doesn't bother me. The All of gender feels like water going off a duck's back to me. Um, which is why, which is why, when I heard that word, I was like, "Ah, Bing, got it. That's that's exactly the word for me." Mm -hmm. um, uh, before I'd heard that word, and well, that's actually not true. It was after? The, no, sorry. At, before it, um, it was after I'd heard that word, and I'd started using that word for myself. I was thinking about dressing in drag for Halloween, mm. and. Um, it was around the time when we were starting to have a conversation about how um, 
when some cis people do drag, it can look a lot like dressing up like a trans person in a very pejorative way. Yes, I I remember that particular era of Vancouver arts community social awareness shift. It's uh, yes, that specific niche. Exactly. So um so think about so here's the conversation I had with myself. I I retain a lot of cis privilege regardless of how I feel. I don't feel called to do hormone replacement therapy. I don't feel called to have any surgeries. Um, I don't really feel comfortable with the word trans because I've never undergone a transition mm-hmm. uh, of any kind, even from even just saying, oh, I feel like I'm a gender instead of I'm a woman. I live in the kind of community where that was barely a blink. Right. This so is a, a nobody dysmorphia sort exactly. of situation. And I'm not situation. saying I'm not saying that like I I'm not saying that I don't fall under the trans umbrella and I'm not saying that there I'm not saying that there are that there aren't other agender people out there who feel exactly like I do and would use the word trans for themselves. Like mm-hmm. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just this is this is where I fit and how I feel. Yes, you're asking. Yes. So my asterisks. Exactly. So. So as a consequence, I have the same kind of concerns that cis people do of not dressing up pejoratively in drag in a way that demeans trans people. Right. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You you are you would come off as cisgender passing in most social contexts, perhaps. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, anyway, all this to say is the conversation I was having with myself was like, well, I'm an agender person. Everything I do is every, every outfit I ever put on is drag, technically. (laughs) Um, any, any presentation I ever do is, is a drag always the end. Mm -hmm. Um, so is that the important element? Is the important element that it's Halloween and that's been a very safe space for queer people to experiment for as long as we've had Halloween? Um, is is it important that drag has been a safe place for people to experiment as long as we've had drag? Because drag has been a safe space for gay people. It's been a safe place sometimes, not always, for... I don't mean safe. It has been a safer... <laughs> And a more welcoming space to, um, as a general trend, to perform these experiments of the self. Now, Chloe... Is what I... So, so is that what matters? Do you see what I'm saying? So when I, when I had all those conversations with my... I, that conversation that I had with myself on that Halloween when I was like, am I allowed to, like, stuff something down the <laughs> front of my boxers that I already own? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like put him like pretend that I have a mustache and tuck all my hair under it too. Like, is that okay? Right. Like, I don't know. Poor conversation of what is allowed to me. Exactly. So, so I had the same, I, the same conversation kind of just fluttered across my mind as I was watching this episode. The, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, what Kevin and what the larger community are thinking about this whole process and what boundaries they are or aren't bumping up against. Yeah, so the reason I wanted to share that anecdote is because, um, um, the reason I wanted to share that anecdote is because that sort of demonstrates that I feel like that demonstrates the different kinds of conversations about gender that you can have. Mm -hmm. Even internally. And the different kinds of, yeah, and even the kinds of allyship that 
like people within the queer community have to exhibit towards trans people so that they're not practicing trans sexism or trans misogyny. Right, 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 right. Yeah, there is so much internal awareness uh, and diversity within this community. It's so easy to step on top of each other real hard. Exactly. Um, um, go ahead. I, I am so delighted. I just have to comment, Chloe. Most people, when they say, I have an anecdote, it's like... I did a thing, a thing happened, I saw a dog, maybe, and this was an occurrence. <laughs> and your anecdote is um, setting, our br setting our minds three years back into this zeitgeist where this conversation and this conversation was happening. I was frozen in, co in philosophy for this long <laughs> moment in time that I distilled and will share with you. Um, here is an essay on my frozen thoughts of this moment and period. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I love it. Because, oh, man. Because it's like I could, I could hear Chloe of several years ago's voice coming out in the text. <laughs> yeah, I do. This is what happens when I'm alone a lot. Like, this is my internal dialogue and you're just getting, you're just getting it, Riverdale gang. I'm sorry. Um, the other anecdote I wanted to share is much shorter, mm -hmm. um, and it is about me being a high school student in a theater company mm -hmm. um, at my high school, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, I went to Lord Bing Secondary School, the fine arts program there. It's a great fine arts program, or at least it was when I was there. I have no idea how it's changed, but as far as I know, it's still great, and I had a really positive experience there. Yeah. Um, very privileged experience, also very positive. Anyway, um... In my grade 11 year, uh, the theater company that I had auditioned for and was in um, was trying to decide what play to do. And um, we all read in the paper, uh, or a couple of us in the theater company read in the paper, including our drama teachers, that a group of drama students in Surrey, which is a suburb of Vancouver, had wanted to do the Laramie Project, mm -hmm. which for anyone who doesn't know is um, a play based on real events um, that include the murder of a young man named Matthew Shepard, um, who uh, uh, who died because of a hate crime uh, against gay gay people, S against gay men. Small Midwestern case. U.S. town, a yes. a quintessential piece of millennial gay theater. Yes, well, I mean the '90s. Is that millennial? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Late nineties, early aughts. Anyway, yeah, it's one of those um, one of those pieces that get banned in places, and then they do a very special episode about it, like today. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and it's a beautiful piece. Um, it's a really unique piece of theater making because um, all of the dialogue is taken from a series of interviews with real people who lived in Laramie. Um, and it's it's. You know, it's tough subject matter. It's homophobia. It's murder. It's prejudices. Um, it's it's a scary it's a scary piece. Um, and there were a lot of questions around why the Surrey School Board. It went all the way to the school board had banned the piece. Um, and it sort of became evident that it wasn't so much the fact that it was about a murder and had adult themes as it was a murder and adult themes that involved homosexuality. Um, for reference, homosexuality and gay... Homosexuality has been... I hate saying that word. Um, homosexuality has been um, decriminalized in Canada for any Americans who are listening since the late 60s, but it did not become legal until Ryan and I were teenagers and gay marriage became... Marriage equality became legal around the same time. 
So that was all very recent when I was 16. Yeah. Hot, hot um, contemporary political discussions. Yes, exactly. And talking about queerness and gayness openly in high schools was still kind of revolutionary <laughs> when Ryan and I were teenagers. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> Go on. Yes, I mean, I'm sure in many communities it has not changed. Um, in the the liberal bubble that I lived in, it was revolutionary then and is now no longer, and we're very lucky in that in that regard. Anyway, as we ran that gambit... Uh, as we the... ran that gambit, my high school drama teachers said, okay, we are going to do a production of The Laramie Project, and... Um, we're going to invite those kids from Surrey to come see it. I know it's not as good as them being able to do it themselves, but we are going to support them and show solidarity with them by doing the piece. And also we're going to show solidarity to the gay students in this high school by telling a story that someone has said we're not allowed to tell. Okay, 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 okay. Um, and we ended up turning in a, a really, honestly, I've seen, having rewatched the VHS of it <laughs> since, we we really kind of did the play justice. It got a lot mm -hmm. of press. The playwright came and visited us at our high school. Um, and it was great. Anyway, the, that's not the point that I'm making. The point I'm making is this this conversation that they have over this this combative conversation that they have over and over and over again mm -hmm. with Principal Honey in the f episode was really familiar to me. Mm -hmm. um, not because our principals weren't on board with our theater company doing the piece, but because, especially in light of there's, there, I mean, we it still goes on. Like our our um, an, another um, suburb in Vancouver. Um, tried to pass a lot of anti-LGBTQ legislation that would directly affect LGBTQ plus students, high school students in schools, and it was really awful. And it's not as though this has all disappeared. This is still an ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. But I guess all this to say is that I found it interesting to revisit these feelings about, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in Hedwig and the Angry Inch that is that has very, very, quote unquote, adult themes. But Teenagers are verging on adulthood. Many teenagers are sexually active. Many mm -hmm. teenagers are trans or intersex or queer. And um, it was just interesting to re re uh, revisit the appropriateness conversation, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which was so familiar to me in my own adolescence. Yes, and the, the strong rift that is often present between the appropriateness of heterosexual and homosexual representations. Uh, let, mm -hmm. let alone anything other, uh, other relationship-wise. Yeah. And there's something very American about Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is why when Principal Honey recommends to Kevin to sing a song from Oklahoma, <laughs> I had that little, like, sparkle moment that Americans get of, like, the different types of America that exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, right. I've talked a whole whole bunch, but I did feel I did feel <laughs> called to share what I identified with <laughs> and the, in this episode. The, Thank you so much for listening, everybody. <laughs> the verisimilitude of the storyline, the very like it was this is normal when we were in high school. This is normal now. This is mm -hmm. uh this is actually a really real story of banning any casually queer media just because this is normal yeah. and this happens. Um, so that's an important verisimilitude to kind of embrace uh, going into an analysis of this kind of, like, footloose morality play. 
mm-hmm. um, because it is it is a hyper a hyperbolic trope, but it's a real one. And mm. the the story the hyperbole of banning music in the t- in the town in Footloose, you know it's it it, it young me always took it as a, a bit of a morality parable, um, various iterations of Christian morals, but um, mm. here it's not even here it's not a debate between music and not music. It's about a, a set of double standards. Yes, exactly. And um, I've never seen Footloose, so it's interesting that that came to mind for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so shall we jump in? Without Yeah, let's jump in. Meandos. I do need to, I need to check on my cat real quick, because it sounds like my cat <laughs> is into something. Uh, All right, well, would you, I'll, would I'll, you like I'll, to come with me, Riverdale gang? Or Great, I'm, monologue. I'm going to monologue right back. while you check on your cat. Um, I'm going to monologue, and um, oh god, now I've got myself in the thick of it. Uh, <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> no, I. Oh, uh, yes, I'm going to talk about the secret lost hiatus episode. Um, Chloe and I did record a short, absolutely nothing uh, hiatus analysis episode. Um, it is probably gone forever. Um, part the the fragments of it live somewhere in my computer and hard drive across uh, uh, a physical media Hello, device. Hello, Do you need rescuing? <laughs> no, not. Well, now, maybe. And it was just no, saying no, that, um, so then I misplaced several of the files and got real depressed because of the world and never edited it. And that's where the lost hiatus episode that you'll probably never listen to went. Great. Um, the only thing that I had to share <laughs> following up on the hiatus episode that you haven't heard because it technically doesn't exist, um, is that I did a big rewatch of uh, seasons one, two, and three of Riverdale, and it was illuminating. But we have no time for that because we haven't gotten to the episode yet. <laughs> Let's episode in, and uh, and we'll save that for some long-term standing hiatus content for the the uh, unmeasurable void time that we are entering. Anyway, cue up your Netflix gang for the void time. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. sync with the Netflix Badoom, ready to press play, and. Yep. Play. Oh God, load. Play load. Oh yeah, mine's loading too. Badoom. Oh, I just got my badoom. Yeah, I think we're more or less linked up. Do do do. Wow, wow. Yeah, we are. How convenient that our internet is comparably delayed. Yes. <laughs> so Stonewall Prep is just gone. We're just done. Yeah. With that. I, I mean, Brett's in jail. Donna's one, I guess, functionally. Um, yeah. So this is this is the this is endgame plot. Whatever this is is endgame plot. Um, we're back. Yeah. The the videotapes. I am not surprised, but I'm very pleased that this slow built videotape thing, uh, has been built together. Um, yeah. So this is what I mean. This is very, very slow and very kind of sweet, and everything's dark and. Mm-hmm. And eventually we get everyone singing together around their television sets, you know? True. It's a, it's a different emotional tone to introduce this episode on. Um, mm-hmm. I would... Um, I want to posit um, the past episode... Blah, 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 blah. Um... I want to posit that the um, 
the place in the the season narrative is just fundamentally different. Hmm, and that's what we're dealing with. Um, because um, in past musical episodes, they were a bit of a tension break from um, from big plot. They were a, a, a catch breath before a big reveal. And here we've we've punched it in after the after the button, after the 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 um, penultimate plot, um, after what I personally thought was going to be the end season arc. Um, this is regrounding us in a new direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and th- having having the entirety of the main cast. The, the ensemble structuring, giving everyone a few unison lines, hearing everyone's voice, is I think a really regrounding trick or technique to to bring us back into Riverdale and outside of the genre plays that we've been in for three years. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Um. I agree. I I unequivocally agree with you. Actually, and that is kind of all I have to say in response. I've sold it. Great. My yep. idea is valid. <laughs> I am right. Um, hey, Chloe, what, yeah. what's your timestamp? My net- Netflix glint- glitched a little. Um, I'm... Uh, <laughs> like 3.06, kind of? 3.06, great, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm at 39, 31, 39, 29, yep, got it. 39, I'm, 28, I'm with, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was just 10 seconds behind. <laughs> great, great, great. Uh, um, Hiram. Hiram yeah, plot. I, I'm interested in of all the plots for Hiram to get. This is actually kind of interesting to me. I um, I kind of wonder if there's like three scenes here that they just didn't get to film in time because this this resolved real fast. This is happening mm, off screen a lot for me. Yes, I I don't know. I think this is building up to more happening later in in the season. Yeah, fair, 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 fair. Yeah. Um, so I hate this dynamic for, for Bughead, by the way. I hate it. <laughs> you mean what, what the Barchi dynamic does? We haven't touched the... We haven't no, touched no, no. The, the, the triangle, quadrangle yet. No, Betty, like, trying to, like, being the... Oh, Betty being, organizing Bughead's life. I hate it. Oh mm, my mm, god. Mm, 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 I hate it. One of the fun things about this this like teen ship is that they're fairly independent. <laughs> I um I believed it from the season we've come. I will give I will give that. I believed this development and I thought the conflicts that these um that these two young relationships bumped into um were were fairly realistic conflicts in that there's there's no secret information. There's just si- situations that these are realistic situations of conflicting intents, conflicting anxieties. That's what I saw, um, or got, or felt. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I I do feel again now that I'm rewatching this episode. There's a certain element of like, which America are we? Like even just mm. now when mm. Betty says Trail of Tears or Salem Witch Trials, and he goes, Oh, Salem Witch Trials, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Like Fair which point. which version of America are we talking about? Or which version of yourself are you? Are you a high school student or are you this unrealistic sleuth? Mm-hmm. 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 You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And Betty sort of aping many of Alice's parenting techniques in, in, an, in an attempt to get things back in line, in shape, yeah. in normalcy. Um, I've, yeah. I've long liked that about Betty, sort of the flaws of her character being so clearly rooted rooted and tied into these conflicts with parts of herself, parts of her mother, parts of her family. Yeah. Um, I thought it's... I, I think it's a very interesting character nuance. Um, I enjoyed getting Kevin... Kevin playing a B-plot like an A-plot. I enjoyed that mm-hmm. a lot. I thought he... Did a, he did a good old pleasant sweet time. Um, the the upcoming all bedroom sleepover was adorable to me. Um, the lyrics it didn't even bother me that the lyrics were jarringly, dissonantly out of context constantly. Oh, that's interesting because I I really noticed that there's there's two songs in particular that like really I couldn't I had trouble kind of comp- computing and I can't remember mm-hmm, which ones mm-hmm. they were, so we're gonna find out if this is one of them. Mm. Possibly, I remember thinking. I think it might be this kid, one. That's uh, that's a real impassionate speech for. Like. You cut you cut through the this is censorship and straight to the Norm Chomsky analysis um, <laughs> with a little with a little mix of Spring Awakening rock opera. Um, sidebar. Yeah. This is this is the scene that I'll, I I am biased because this is the scene where I remembered I'm single in lockdown and alone and. Hot guys singing rock opera was kind of my high school years. So woof. I was. It's, it's hot. This episode's really hot. There's some charming boy next door um, rock uh, smirks going on here that I am heavily vulnerable to. And honestly, after a month, like, like, dang, Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, That's funny. I just, I think the thing I struggled with in this sequence is we haven't been in teen angst mode in this show in a very long time. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. what worked with Heathers mm-hmm. is um, we were in angst mode already. Mm. What's. Um... And. And I just was kind of like these these straight people are pretending to be queer and they don't get it was one that mm. I had one of those moments in here and I don't know if that's fair to be honest I think that I think that mm-hmm. straight people know a lot more about queerness especially mm-hmm. young straight people know a lot more about queerness now than they did when I was younger. Also, four you know? four of the singing characters are queer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and does um, it matter that they're played by straight people when the characters are so fun and wonderful? I, I, at least, uh, at least they're written by pretty queer folks. That exactly makes, that make that's a nod. But um, yeah, here's what I got from that number: uh, less a hey sexual repression perspective, a little bit more of a hey we're the kids who deal with all the school shootings and reality's broken for us. That's the yeah. angst that I saw coming out real naturalistically there. Uh, that grounded this Riverdale a little bit more in current reality. Um, I would argue that season one Riverdale feels bubblegum compared to current reality for youth. The the Generation yeah. Z yes. climate striking generation. Um, 
I don't. I think the the mythic safe Riverdale of preseason one is not in the zeitgeist, and so the world's on fire and everything's terrible and people are murdered every year. That's what I got verisimilitude from Kevin's performance in that that high school yeah. ensemble. That's what I read into that. That's interesting because as a, as a note, this is the first March since 2002 where there's been no school shootings in the United States. And it's be, it, the only reason is because school isn't in session. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know? Yep, yep. Um, and I often forget, I mean, yes, I'm American, but having gone to high school in Canada, I mm. forget that for the majority of American teenagers, there is a background low-key threat to going to school every day. Yeah, there's a there's a lived violence that our generation is still pretty um, pretty deaf to, quite mm-hmm. that, that 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 doesn't ping the same anxiety buttons I think for yeah, for the millennial exactly. generation, um, most of us, and certainly Canadians where we just have a very different uh, yeah. dynamic of that gun, gun control conversation. Exactly. And it's not to say that going to high school isn't a a threat to life for many students (laughs) in Canada for other reasons. That's not what I'm getting at. Um, Just different problems. Our problems are different. (laughs) Yes, our problems are different. Thanks, Kevin. Um, Kiss. Because that could have been so romantic and it wasn't. Are you together? What's happening? Are you... Was that romantic? I do... I do kind of love their, their, like, I got you bro queer solidarity, though. You know, if they were, if they were, uh, it, it kills me But the other thing is, but the other thing is that, like, they, like, the, the lesbian couple gets to make out, but, like, gay men have not made out a ton on this show. They've made out more than other teen shows, maybe, but. This is, in fact, a classic, a, that is, in fact, a classic statistical measure of different representation issues, looking at Glee, yeah. uh, lesbians versus gay men, who kisses, yeah. who's performing for who, about what, but ah, but um, yeah. yeah, I don't it think all they're comes trying down to, str- yeah. to do that, but I do think they are falling into a little bit of trap of, we're trying to have queer friends, and we're trying to have queer romantic tension, and we're not sure which is when is what, which is also yeah. a trap every queer person I know falls into, but <laughs> I do not forgive the showrunners for falling into it as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love this. They use they use the they use the classic band name that is from is canon, right? Yep, the Archies. And they I love I love Archies. that Jughead is like uh appropriately uh, derisive of it. Yes. Uh <laughs> yes, exactly. Sorry, I'm distracted by the magnificence of Kevin in this moment. It's it's true. He's he's pretty fabulous here. Yeah. Um in the, in his lane, this felt very much as a gay cis man's full drag performance. That yes, and like well within established nonconformist protest canon of yeah. gender diversity. Um, Although it did, it did interest me that he's not trying, or they didn't direct him to try very hard to perform femininity yeah he did not shave like, his armpits yeah but he's also um like not even the way he's moving like there's a little bit of sort of feminine sensuality to it but he does a couple of like like that that is very male what yep. he just did yep 
Um, yeah, and, and this thing is, he's doing... That is, gen, like, genderqueer gay male space, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this, is, too. I, I agree. This is very much draggy rock opera. Yeah. Of, of fabulous Bowie-esque breaking, yeah. down, breaking down genders, but not quite in the same categorical way we often break down genders these yeah. days. Um, like, Fang's style <laughs> is completely in sync with Kevin's style yeah. here. But, um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it as it is. Yes. Also, on the note of, like, casual dudes kissing, I'll take it. it yeah. It's not a romantic representation. There's our solidarity bro kiss. <laughs> yes, exactly. Kate. Yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of good, there was a lot of good bro support in that moment. Yeah. For that, sure. This is a, this is an ensemble of kids who get this stuff as best as they care to get it. As yeah. much as they need to get it. And so then, something I, sorry, go ahead. And then the adorable sleepover of Kevin and all the girls. Yes. Um, this, this is a very sweet sequence, but something I thought about in this, I went into like very over-intellectualized queerness as normative brain space during this, um, uh, during this sequence where I was like, mm. oh, like these cis women are reappropriating um, a femininity that is transgressive because for cis women, femininity isn't particularly transgressive. Mm. And sharing um, it with the, with yeah, gay jock boy. And like, like giving him a bit of permission to be, and I didn't love it, but I also was like, oh, but if queerness is normative, it's just fem night, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, anyway. it's just a makeover dress up night. Like, here's the thing in my, in my current community, it's not weird to just be like, we're going to watch Rocky Horror tonight, everyone go hard, if you're yeah. actually having a social event. Um, but I recognize that's not the case in most high school kids' lives. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. more and more and more and more in this casual, comfortable, casual, normalized way, this would be a nice new norm. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Queer normativity. That, yeah, very well put, Chloe. Thank you. Well, the one thing I was thinking about as well is the the line where Betty puts on the tiara. She says, I put the wig back on. Suddenly I'm Miss Midwest. Mm -hmm. That is also fairly unattainable for most cis women. That like very hyper feminized standard, like very classic standard of beauty mm -hmm. that is very cruel to cis women as well in a very, very different way. Right. And in a less cruel way than it is to trans women or to men who do drag or to genderqueer people or etc. Right. Um, so, so that was the only moment where I was like, oh, but Betty, like, you're not putting on a wig. Like, uh, you have more access to this. Right. You know? And I but, was... Um, this is one of those but, funny moments... But it is. It, where I, but, but, but I also was thinking about, like, femininity as a playground of fantasy. Right, right. Well, there's so Which much is, there's so yeah. much creativity in yeah. in fashion and makeup and hair and aspects of of feminine coded expression that mm -hmm. is just non-existent in in not available for guys. It's not there in masculinity in the same range, but there is a gorgeously creative component to this um what i i i want to uh suppose that we each kind of i i watch this as kevin 
Like, mm, and it sounds like you, you saw this first with Betty. Um, so I got this gorgeous little, yeah, this invitation to play in femininity that is, you know, sleepover makeup overnight, sleepover make overnight is a trope yeah. that is traditionally classically denied boys. And here we get a, a hyperbole experience all for Kevin casually in this gender exploration episode with, with his support of people several of whom are, are, like, we're all over the board on identities and lived experience in this, in this bunch of folks. Like, this is, this is a cool Greek chorus of, of high femme gods to invite sure, him in on yeah, this, on absolutely. this journey of, of technical, technical beauty exploration and creativity. So I, I guess I, I I reduced all the women on screen to a Greek chorus. There's my Siske lens. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I think it's good. I I think that like there there are important because so many so many women, gay or straight or queer, mm-hmm. have um have treated gay men with this very partially sexualized, partially like. I almost want to say castrating attitude of like, you are in this safe zone where I can play with you. Yes. And you're sort of like, you're sort of my prop, you know? Halfway between a purse dog and a Ken doll. That's a true experience. That's a real, a real pigeonhole. Yeah. And I believe, I believe that you can speak more to that than I can, but I like it when I see, um, women supporting gay men in a way that doesn't exemplify any of that. That yeah, gives me a lot yeah, of pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a, and a yeah. gay man who is not, um, who is not, I want to say, appropriating the hell and satirizing, satirizing their femininity, but rather just, like, in for the creative game and the, the sheer joy of it. Like, it was such a... Yeah. It was actually a very sweet and genuine sort of motivation more than like we see in Riverdale very often. Yeah, totally. Of like, let's also, all put on a wig and feel great about ourselves. Exactly. It was very theater. It had that good theater kids element, which the other musical episodes have had as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I thought this sequence was totally fun. But another, again, another like cognitive dissonance thing about like it's different when a man dressed in drag sings this to a man in a suit than when young yep. women, the young cis women, you know what I mean? Like, just it, those those two things existed for me. But also, I don't understand why Cheryl and Tony thought this was going to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It, like, it's not their best plan. This does not sell anything neutral. Like, like I, I arguably... Honey's right in this moment, even exactly. though he's being a jerk. Um, that was something this... that that pinged for me because, like, it they just present to him a very sexualized, in a way that is sexualizing of young teenage women in a way that isn't necessarily appropriate. Yeah, there's layers and layers um, and layers. And while exactly yeah, we don't even get to touch on the entire subject of bio drag and um, what it means for um, to perform drag of your assigned or perceived sex. 
Exactly. I, I'm glad yeah. Riverdale doesn't touch that because I don't think they're ready for it any more than we are. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, like, when Cheryl turns around and says, well, that's what queer, very queer phobic of you, that is the one moment where Honey doesn't, Mr. Honey doesn't seem motivated by queer phobia to me in that in that particular moment. And he seems mm-hmm. motivated mm-hmm. by, like, I don't want my female students singing this to an audience that's potentially full of dads. Like, that doesn't seem, you know what I mean? Yep. Here is a conflict that I don't know if they intended to put it in there, but that I um, am very familiar with. The mm. um, the conflict where unintended, where perceptions of sexualization are all that is visible to a to a straight audience in a lot of queer media. There is there's a great deal of culture and subtext that simply doesn't play without some awareness, knowledge, in-joke. It's not for the honeys of the world. Yeah. Um, but, consequentially, um, with a lack of appreciation, education, and understanding, a great deal of people only see the sexualized components of queer media. And yes. the reduction of that content and that identity to sexuality only, discounting the other complicated cultural um, nuance um, in play and the, the role and purpose of that media, um, is, is a blunt queer phobic thing. I don't mm-hmm. believe Honey intends that. I don't, yeah, and, that's I, a good and point. I do not believe Honey, I, I also do not believe that Cheryl has the context or perspective or should be, be giving him a pass on that. I think Cheryl's right, but I think they're having such different conversations that there's yeah. no way they could have been on the same page there. And I I enjoyed yeah. seeing that that unbridgeable divide conversation that feels very familiar to me of you know, I I've seen that hap that talk between there's just a bridge of awareness where both of you are right, but you neither of you have the tools to communicate with each other across the gap. Yeah. Um, we're talking, I love what you just said, and I completely agree with what you're saying, especially about the aspect of having two different conversations, mm-hmm. but we're talking through, um, uh, the fights, I, we're talking the through fights. a sequence, uh, yeah, the couple fights that I didn't know what to do with because the couple fights themselves felt very, um, felt very real to me in terms of high school stakes. Yes, I, um, I agree. I agree very much. But this... But this, but this song is about getting mutilated, isn't it? Hey, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't catch and flag all that the first time through, but y- yep, no, I, I can see that being a problematic potential application of this yeah. context. Which, but I did. I did think that, like, technically the sequence was really... Well, for one thing, I thought the fights kind of came out of nowhere. Mm. Um, that I didn't love. Mm. Um, but I did I did feel that they're, they're, technically it's a good, good sequence. I feel like their voices do the song justice. Yes. Um, Everyone was, I like, felt, present I felt, in the fight of it. Exactly. And I felt that... I feel like if this this song was about anything other than having your genitalia mutilated, it would have been perfect for the sequence. I'm gonna. I want to table that one for when we have a chance to talk with Feralith. 
about richer, deeper context, and I want to like yes. push that that question conversation forward. Um, Great, let's do that. While these angry teens shout at each other, um, yeah, I really liked your point about high school stakes. I I think these are both really petty fights, but they're very real petty to me. Yeah, like they're both they're all trying to control very hard a difficult situation, and it, this episode set up for me better than I expected the differences in their personalities that would lead to this conflict. Yes. Like, this is not a someone's wrong, someone's right, someone's dumb, there's missing information conflict. This is a we're all screaming at the void and sometimes we're in each other's way kind of yeah. a moment. Well, that, that felt very real to current reality to me. Totally. Um, this moment is great. Every single one of these high school students is in a headwig costume. Agreed. I think this is really fun. There aren't um, enough I... wigs in any small town for this, but I love it. <laughs> like, literally, in Vancouver, I would be hard... In Vancouver, with a professional, long-standing burlesque company and stock, I would be hard-pressed to dress this many people on short notice. <laughs> In the same <laughs> style as well. Yep. Yeah, like, it's hard. I mean, this is probably just a joy for costuming, though, I must say. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't even know if that's sarcastic or not. Um, I'm sorry, I'm distracted by everything. By plot. Um, I did, I did, like... Again, I just have to say, I think I said this in our preamble, like, before we even started recording, but <laughs> Cole Sprouse has really leveled up in his singing. Yes, yes, and, yes. And um, that, that sequence, the that this song. the song that we just heard, like, really exemplifies that, and, like, some people get all the good looks and all the talent, and I hate you, Cole Sprouse, <laughs> and I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy mm -hmm, for you. Mm -hmm, You're so talented. Mm -hmm. You're so lucky you can just learn to sing. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> what What really stood out for me in his performance today is that... He did not sing like a musical theater performer belting out rock. That was a mm -hmm. that was a proper pop number. And like when you hear um, Leah Michelle or uh, Christian Chenoweth or Adina Menzel, there's like this there's this musical theateriness, this Timber and Tonin mm -hmm. style that I'm used to in musical episodes. It's usually mm -hmm. actors learning how to sing. But they gave us a, a little bit of nice, quality, non-camped rock vocals. Yeah, like I was absolutely delightfully surprised. Yeah. Um. So that was our first flashback. Yeah. We got we got baby KJ baby we got younger KJ Appa we got a little Luke Perry in there. I um I'm here for this tension and chemistry of this scene. I felt it. I'll give you... That's interesting. I, I don't feel it until the bedroom sequence. Mm. Um, but these these actors do have chemistry. I felt it more during the bedroom sequence is what I should say. Yes, 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 yes. I see that. But, yeah. um, I mean, the the contrast here, just within, within this episode, the contrast of relationship and conflict to safe comfort... That read true to me as a bad decision-making dynamic. Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. um, like, the, the building tension and relationship here. I rarely believe love triangles, love quadrangles. Um, but here, the, um, the moments of tension, conflict, and personal insecurity 
That's a really important mm-hmm. bit of the bit of the recipe. The personal insecurity that everyone is feeling that leaves them all on slightly on shaky ground and liable to make some real rough steps. Um, like singing a love ballad with your best friends while you're both fighting with your partners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that this, this, the fact that this song is about the origin of love makes me buy it a little more. Like there, I do, I do feel like for many people, there is something special about someone you've loved a long time or someone that you fell in love with when you were young. Mm, mm, mm. It's a very, Um, it's a resounding literary presence, the childhood friend lover. Yeah. In so many. But, but. But and real, like I, I, you know, I have a partner who still speaks very. Um, I have had a partner, I should say, who mm-hmm. speak spoke very lovingly about a high school relationship that is, you know, the oh man, Cole Sprouse, the the pipes, it's so good. it's so sounds so you, good. You leveled up. You um, saved through years of experience and just poured it all into Bard. Totally. <laughs> um, where was I going with that? Um, who's who? Spiel still speaks very lovingly and in a very special way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about a high school relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's true for partners I have known. I have never, I've never had that experience. I didn't have a, a significant long term relationship until a high school was ending. Mm. But I think there is something palpable and real for people about original love and origin love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Um, I'm. Just, but here, all these, all these flashbacks. Yeah, I, I, th- um, I thought it, it was it, very it, effective. Yeah, this is starting to feel like like bookend material, which like a show that knows it's kind of getting toward the end. Yeah, that it it is maturing healthily in its lifespan. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is not a this is not a sustainable plot twist, right? This isn't a plot twist that lets them live in their status quo. No. This is a plot they can play this once. Yeah. This is this is this is a this is a big high value card and they've spent 4 years building its value. Yeah. Like this I think is a very is more well-earned tension and payoff than I ever anticipated from this classic relationship dynamic. Yeah. This, these, this, these two scenes, this one and then the one between Veronica and Archie, like, I really oh. felt for, for poor, for all of them. I felt so sad about it. Yeah, like, everyone is suddenly in an impossible position. Mm-hmm. Fought. Cheated on your partner. Presumably. Even a kiss. Romantic. Yeah. Feelings conflicted. Split feelings. You don't know what your feelings are. But you can't. But then, oh my God, your partner is apologizing and it's sweet and everything's perfect. And ah, yeah, like, whoa, yeah, and it's one. Of, yeah, there's rarely a dynamic of you know unspoken or miscommunication relationship stuff built on television where I truly feel like, oh, I wouldn't be able to say the unsaid thing either. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, yeah, yeah. It's I, I I liked this. Yeah, I think in every relationship, especially in in monogamous ones, there's like the the unpleasant idea of your partner cheating, and then there's also 
the particularly awful idea of your partner cheating with that one person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think I think this is the latter, <laughs> very much so. Yes, it isn't. Yep, it's a cheat. That means as much as yeah. your relationship, give or yeah. take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. These poor kids. Like, they, they all feel they all feel like young. They feel really young again with this with this conflict. Yes. No, which isn't to say that like like adults of any age don't experience infidelity. Mm-hmm. Um it's I don't know. I I just I just want to protect them all and I can't. <laughs> this feels like the particularly particular high drama self-discovery stakes of a young person again. And we haven't had those types of self-discoveries of firsts and first first horrible mistakes, first innocent horrible mistakes as well. Um, we've had so many external forces. Yeah, these are these are young people playing and falling on their face again, and it's been it's been a while since they've been able to fall on their face without dying. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think I think the other thing is we've like four years has been spent building up Bughead and Varchi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they the show just broke it, you know. Yeah, and like, well, we feel we feel how broken it is with Betty and Archie, and they very they very, I think, very effectively sit in their perspective place in their emotional conflict. Um, I think we get to see Jughead and Veronica with the same sort of sinking thump guilt as Betty and, and they've suddenly turned it into a, a Barchi romance and that's jarring and it's a riptide for us yeah. and the audience and we are right we're, we've like stumbled into it with them yeah so this this sequence made me buy this this romantic switch yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the staring yeah. at each other across a window yeah and remembering back three years before everything was absolutely insane when there was only like one death and he mm-hmm. st- and he stayed in the ground yeah <laughs> yep yeah well actually he didn't <laughs> exactly back when he stayed in the ground yes exactly <laughs> yeah and also this this feeling of Wanting to escape, something I notice um, in people who have a new romantic attraction when something else in their life complicates that Mm. is I think there is an element of we're the only two people in the world. We're the only two people in this Mm -hmm, wicked little mm -hmm. town. Right. You know, and I feel this sequence really encapsulates that. Yep. Alone together. Yeah. And coming out of very uh, of similar places of deep conflict from their security stable place yeah yeah yep yeah i i was very pleased with this episode yeah i like this episode a lot better on the rewatch <laughs> i mean i liked it very well the first time but oh man what are they gonna do what are they gonna do? They're gonna angst. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're probably gonna make some bad decisions and hurt people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, right. Also, is Cheryl scene. in a I, that suit? Felt like, that felt like the end beat for me. I was, like, settling in and preparing my synopses in my head. And was, oh, right, the Archies. Yeah. Just, to, just so, to twist the knife a little. Again, there's a, a, a roll call, like, end of the night, end of the season, end of the show quality mm-hmm. to this song, where they're calling out each other's names. Yep, hugely. Ugh, hugely. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's a very grounding reset episode. Like, I suspect in rewatch, this episode will stand as a season finale, energetically, thematically, and whatever's left of season four is gonna feel different. Yeah. Like we don't we don't know the release schedule yet. We not we're not sure what's going on or what the plan is yet. And but whenever we get it and get there, it is going to be something different. It'll be a, a piece of art made in a different time. So yeah. there, there is there is a closing beat to this that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a little satisfying. Sad. Like I feel like we could sign off and say bye, folks. This is it. Real easy. Like I'm not gonna take the off ramp or anything. But there is there is that that emotional tone. Yeah. The roll call you were talking about. You're right. Yeah. S- the, the, yeah, the longing shots. I, if not, yeah. if not for the unresolvedness of Betty and Archie's emotional tension here, that's the one thread that they're still plucking throughout this scene. But even that, like, Aww. could be, could be, and then in the sequel, in another piece of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. This this was poignant. It was totally poignant. This sequence. Yeah. And, then, and it's also it's also a moment of happiness before everything goes wrong. It has that quality as well. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, like a, a needed moment of peace and good memories for everyone. Yeah. For the for the coming dark times. Yeah. Oof. Not present at all. Not at all. Oof. <laughs> uh, there's something about group singing, gang singing, gang vocals that's also like. Like, they're not harmonizing clean pretty here. It's a group of yeah. people singing. A bit, like, they are. Our four leads are doing a gorgeous arrangement. Yeah, but they... and they're all they're all a bit sweaty, too. Like, And they're not, like, costumed like they would be normally for the bunny. Yeah, yeah, this is... Stuff. Th- th- yeah, this feels, this feels garage bandy. Yeah. It feels raw, rough, and authentic in a way that is a touch more... A touch too real for what the world has become since this shot but feels shockingly poignant in its contemporary use. Even, hey, yeah. remember when we all gathered? Right. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was also, like, waiting... I was waiting for the big reveal, like the one that came at the end of Heather's, mm-hmm. where mm. it was like, oh, things have gotten really bad. Uh-huh. And it, it doesn't have quite the same quality like they did have a reveal in like this last sequence yes but it didn't quite have the same stakes and I didn't really find that I minded that yeah it's um in Heather's Heather's served as a catch breath moment before a much louder angrier more powerful piece of art where Mm -hmm. everything was bigger than we knew 
And I feel like this inversely shrinks us back down to the interpersonal before a plot that seems to be focusing very, very, very narrowly on everyone's individual intimacies. Yes. Um, yeah, they're, they're being used in completely different pacing, pace-setting <gasps> techniques. I forgot about this. Yeah. Um, never mind. We do get the big darkness oh, oh, at the end of this. Oh, you forgot about this part. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I forgot we had a big music and a sting. Uh, yeah, no, this is a big twist, isn't it? Isn't that some deeply, deeply, deeply horrifying? Yeah. Deeply. Like, so is this another snuff film? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what we've got. Mm -hmm. ah! This was so fun. Uh, yeah, this episode's great. Who am I kidding? Like, making those masks and sitting with that mask imagery for whatever our hiatus is. Like, I feel like that is the most on-point aesthetic of this, of the, like, the fourth season so far. Those creepy cartoon masks. Sum, yes. Sum it up real good for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, <sighs> Ryan. <laughs> this show, you know, just as soon as I think it's going to start disappointing me, it doesn't. <laughs> many twists, many twists, many twists. Um, trusting the trusting the the showrunners. I'm trusting the creators of this show. Uh, that they, of course, corrected in such fascinating ways, and they're giving me something that I need. Yeah. Um, I... I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for the rest of this season. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of the rest of this season, and also the rest of this show, and the weird world we live in, um, Ryan seems to think the rest of season four is not going forward. I seem to think it is. We'll just check back next week and find out. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on the listings and delays and or not delays, and we'll be here when Riverdale is here, and sometimes when Riverdale's not here. Um, exactly. I, um, I I also heard that the fifth season was going ahead and now has been canceled. So I assume that's just because when are they going to shoot that? <laughs> yeah, I suspect that that may be an everything's canceled next year. I'm not sure if that is a Riverdale's canceled or just 2021 is canceled, but we'll find out together. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we will. In the meantime, um, all in all, seeing seeing this again, I really enjoyed this episode, and I didn't realize that I needed to see a musical. I was in the mood to see a musical. I had no idea until I watched this twice in one day. <laughs> Chloe, I, 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 co I sync watched Cats with a friend the other night. <laughs> did you watch it with Simon? I did. It's like it's like Simon taking up astrology. The Simon was on our show once, it's and wild. I'm you. I don't want to see it. Cats is so broken. <laughs> no one should see it. That film shouldn't have been it. made. But also, Jimmy Dent plays it so straight, and there's something glorious in that. But yeah, I was in a musical. Oh, that might I actually be worth seeing. In a musical mood, too. Judy Dench doesn't know she's in a flop, and that's beautiful. That's kind of great. Also, it occurs to me that one of my favorite Judy Dench quotes is, I owned 17 cats in the 80s. <laughs> and, um, it seems appropriate here. It, yes. That's on the Graham Norton show. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Judy Dench is great. Riverdale's fun. Um, 
So yeah, we'll see you soon, gang, in some way, shape, or form. Um, stay safe, stay sane, and yeah. um, I am a really big fan of the Orbiting Human Circus. That's a narrative podcast mm-hmm. that I've been listening to. Um, if you need a sidebar, um, and a few others that I really love include It Makes a Sound, also by, by Night Veil Prevents, presents a nice, uh, complete one-season narrative story. Um, Minority Corner is one that I follow that's non-fiction. That is uh, a nice um, contemporary black queer American pop culture talk show. Um, Coffee with my ma. It's a great bit of uh, Mohawk storytelling podcasting. Uh, it is going to be a golden time for audio media, I believe. Uh, yeah. And the beautiful canon we have built over the last few years. I'm going to listen to lots and maybe bring a few more recommendations to you for you to each show that sounds great um i uh do not have any recommendations because i have only been watching things i've seen before other than cowboy bebop because cowboy bebop i experience with my partner Mm -hmm. and so there's someone there with me if something comes up um i have been very very safe in my media intake i want to know exactly what i'm getting (laughs) but um i have decided that after this rewatch of riverdale for at least a month i'm not allowed to see media that i've seen before that is bold chloe and i support you and i'm excited to see what happens with that thank you um talk to you soon i just know well actually just (laughs) very quickly i just noticed in the um synopsis of this episode um it says a menacing and musical new normal comes to riverdale oh yeah that was written after the pandemic definitely (laughs) um i well i don't know if it was but more interestingly to my mind um they're they're signaling that this episode is like a chain a, a tonal shift. It seems to me. Oh yes, yes, they are aware and signaling more yeah. more uh, directly than we usually get from yeah. behind the veil. I agree. I agree. Okay, it's real this time, gang. All right, talk to you soon, gang. Bye, gang.